Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The Rising Tide Mastermind is one of my favorite things that I look forward to each and every week because I get to see people that have my best interest in mind. I know this because I have their best interest in mind. And when you get people together in a room like that, you can just imagine how people want to help other people. If this sounds like something you want to learn more about, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Trace Blackmore here, CWT, and I am so happy to bring you a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O. And folks, I want to thank everybody out there that if you have ever come up to me and said you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know how much that means to me because there is so much that happens on the back end with this podcast. If we did not know who we were doing this for and what it meant to so many people out there, it might not be as fun. But because you let me know what this podcast means to you, you've let me know that you've shared this with other industrial water treaters that you know it means so much and it makes it fun for myself and my wonderful staff here at Scaling Up H2O to put these podcasts and all the other things that we're doing within Scaling Up H2O together because of your feedback. So thank you so much for that. By the way, something else you can do, and this helps us with people being able to find us, is go ahead and give us a review in your favorite podcast player. And that actually elevates our status and makes it easier for future Scaling Up Nation members to find us so if you want to do something to help us out, that would be great. And I am going to thank you in advance for that. Of course, it wouldn't be an episode if I'm not asking for ideas and guests. So if there is an idea you have for a show, if there's a question that you have for us, if there is a guest that you have for us, you want us to interview on this very podcast, well, we have made it so easy for you. You can go to scalinguph2o.com, go over to our show ideas page, and you can tell us all about that. Also, you will get a pop-up that will allow you to record your voice. A lot of times we use your voice on this podcast to answer the question that you have. Feel free to let us know anything. And folks, that is how we make sure that we get the right information to you. Nation, one of the things we like to do is keep you informed of all the things that are going on in our industry. And I'm trying to get people to use our events page more because I know Sometimes we talk about things pretty quickly on this podcast, and then you got to figure out what show it was on, and you want to go to a particular location, a particular event, and you can't remember where I spoke about it. 
Well, I've already talked about the great staff that we have on Scaling Up H2O. Well, they have put together an events page that makes it oh so easy for you to find anything that we're talking about and even some things that we don't talk about. So you can learn about them. You can read about them. You can go straight to their website from our website and even put a calendar invite right in your calendar. So let's talk about a few today. Well, first off, we have the Water and Wastewater Equipment Treatment and Transport Show. That's taking place February 20th through 23rd in Indianapolis, Indiana. This is actually called the Wet Show, spelled with two W's and two T's. It's about water and wastewater equipment. So if you have anything to do with water and wastewater equipment, this might be an event that you want to check out. Now, one of the things that I cannot be happier to talk about, not that I'm not happy to talk about the other stuff, but I am involved in this training. It's one of my favorite things to do, and I would love it if you came to it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the technical training seminars, the AWT, the Association of Water Technologies, has technical training seminars where you can get foundational water treatment knowledge. You can get a intermediate water treatment knowledge. You can get wastewater knowledge. You can get Legionella ASSE 12,080 knowledge. You can get RO and ultra filtration knowledge, and you can even get sales knowledge. Oh my gosh, there's so much going on within these trainings. And you've got two opportunities for that. So in San Diego, California, February 21st through 24th, and then again in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, March 29th through April 1st. We'll have all of that information, all of the different classes, when they're offering what, where they're offering what, all of that will be available at ScalingUpH2O.com on our events page. Also, the Association of Metropolitan Water Agencies is having their virtual symposium to discuss inorganic contaminants in the water. That's taking place March 14th through 16th in Boston, Massachusetts, and there's also a heavy virtual component to that. So check that out on our events page. And then finally, WQA's Water Quality Association's Convention and Expo is April 18th through 20th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Always a very fun show to attend. It is a large show to attend. And if you are involved in a host of different water treatment industries, this is probably the show that you want to check out. And we'll have information for that on our show notes page. And something for you, I said show notes page, I meant our show events page. I know you, the Scaling Up Nation, knew exactly what I was trying to say. Something I want you to put on your calendars, March 22nd is World Water Day. Now we have Industrial Water Week which it's celebrating our jobs, the things that we do, but this is celebrating what we do. This is celebrating water. So we'll, of course, do something special on the Scaling Up H2O podcast to help you get in the World Water Day mood, but go ahead and put that on your calendar 
And the people you work with, go ahead and figure out what you're going to do. There's so much that we do that is wash, rinse, repeat. And this job, if you're not careful, can get very mundane. And my dad always told me, if that happened to me, I'm doing it wrong because this job should never be boring. There's always something new to learn. There's always another way to do something that you've been doing time and time again. And now there's always something to celebrate with all these different holidays to take us out of the day-to-day so we can celebrate each and every day what we do. And this is an opportunity for that again, March 22nd. Something that I love to celebrate are all the installments that our friend James McDonald gives us each and every week. So here is a brand new periodic water table with James. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's periodic water table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is... Gluteraldehyde. What is this nefarious sounding chemistry? What is gluteraldehyde used for? Does it have an optimal pH range? And is it a narrow or broad range? What are typical dosages for gluteraldehyde? How quickly does it do its job? What is it effective against? Will anything cause gluteraldehyde to degrade? If deactivated, what impact could this have on a closed loop system? Can glutaraldehyde be tested for in the field or in the lab? Is it fed continuously or intermittently? Remember, knowledge is power, and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learn to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalinguph2o. I look forward to learning more from you. James, as always, thank you for that. Scaling Up Nation, here is the reason that you tune in. Here is our interview. My lab partner today is returning guest, Adam Shapiro of Sales Reform School. I love that name. Adam, welcome back to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. It's been a minute, hasn't it? It has been a while. I think you and I spoke over the pandemic, if I recall. Yeah, it was pretty early in the pandemic. I believe it was April, May of 2020. I, I think that sounds right. And the question back then, which is still probably the question today, is is how do you sell in the new normal? And you were helping us out with that. And then also bringing like an EOS style to the sales process. Yeah, I had just come off, I think, presenting at EOS Worldwide on what the heck does sales do with EOS. I think it resonated with a lot of people. I've, I've had a lot of EOS folks or companies who are on EOS say, yeah, we, we haven't really figured out how to talk to the salespeople, which you know we can be a special breed. For the listeners out there, uh, the acronym EOS is the Entrepreneur Operating System. It's from the book by Gino Wickman called Traction. And Adam works his company off of EOS, and he helps a lot of other EOS companies as well. And, uh, and then you, you actually did a seminar for how to bring it into sales. Tell us about that. Sure. 
whether you use EOS or any other management system or any other way that an executive team figures out how to work together and then drive um, process and accountability down, there's this group over here on the side that generates revenue called sales. And they need to have their own their own goals, understand differentiators, understand stories, understand the market and things like that. But what happens too often is the lessons that you're trying to drive as a company, such as what are our differentiators, what's our company culture, what we're trying to accomplish, don't get filtered through to the conversations that sellers are having every day with their prospects. So one of the things that I do is I bring in a building blocks, if you will, uh, workshop where we can come up with, okay, how do we make that differentiator into a story to tell? How do we define our ideal client profile in our market so that when people ask us, well, who, are you, who do you guys help? We can do that in a clear and convincing and confident manner. And that's just a, a small amount of those things. Uh, and then, of course, um, proven process. Every company has a way that they go about bringing about positive results for their customers. Your sellers need to be able to describe that succinctly and confidently within, say, two minutes or less. So let's talk about that for a second, because if we had an accounts receivable in our company, we would have a process for that. Accounts payable, we have a process for that. There's a process for just about everything, but it seems like when we look at the sales department, it's the Wild West. Why is that? I think it's coming around. It's not as bad as it was 18 years ago when I started this business and uh, as my own um, uh, boss, if you will. We tend to think that salespeople are born, not made. So it's like, just let them do what they can do. We also tend to, um, and I I agree with this, by the way, don't mess with the streak. So if business is good and whatever those people are doing over there, let them continue doing it. When it starts not doing so well, such as the last three months as we were, we're teetering on whether we have or don't have a recession four months ago, five months ago, this whole supply chain issue, being able to get product, all that, you start figuring out, okay, do we even have a process that we can analyze to see where, what's going on with our errors or omissions that we can troubleshoot? How can you fix something if you don't know what you're doing to begin with? So that's where uh, good operations will say, okay, let's attack, like you're saying, this with the same sincerity and thoughtfulness on accounts receivable, accounts payable, business process, manufacturing, all that. You know, how do we even go about getting business? So let's document that. And then figure out if we're actually doing that within our opportunities and with our prospects from first initiation through closing. So in manufacturing, we have lean processes where how do we make the fewest amount of moves, the fewest amount of effort to make the end product? Does that translate over in sales? It would worry me if someone used that terminology, fewest amount of steps to get the result. Because what hap- what I find is after my engagements with companies, it's very much a J curve. So you realize that you were cutting cutting out process steps. And while that was getting to proposals, you weren't actually closing more business. So by slowing down and actually doing more work, you will actually increase your probability of success. So skipping steps is never a good move. Just like build, you know, cooking or making or using a recipe for a manufacturing process, you don't want to skip important steps. Now in sales, you may get lucky. And, and then you may have a buyer who's just motivated to buy, and they don't need all the things that you that you have in your toolbox to be successful. But what I found is when companies are losing to no decision or losing to a name competitor, when you start spreading out the accordion of your sales process, you'll see where the gaps are. 
So what do you do? You go into a company and you just have a magic wand and everything gets better, right? I, I only wish. Um, I hope you're not coming from a place of uh, saying, ah, sales is easy. Let's just, let's just throw, throw bodies at it. We'll make things happen. There are companies that do that. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, oftentimes reminded when, when people say, wow, sales is hard. Yeah, that's why the payoff can be so good. What do I do? There's really a, a couple of things. First of all, let's figure out what the problem is. Well, I shouldn't even say problem. What's the objective? Let's start out with our primary aim. Are we, tr- are we at a spot where we're doing really well and we need to expand? But by expansion, there's no way we can be everywhere on every sales call. How do we enable these new sellers within our company to do well, to perform, to succeed? Other times, it's like, we're not doing well. We've got salespeople. We have no idea what's going on. Can you fix us? I'm like, well, I don't know. But let's see what's going on. Let's document your process that you want to repeat over and over again. Let's build your first playbook, enable your salespeople to succeed. So I've I've described two different objectives, but by and large, it's really a diagnosis first. There are no magic bullets in sales. All you can do is ratchet up the probability of success. And we know in every walk of life, if you put together a process and a methodology, and of course, iterate on it to make sure it's, it's optimized will succeed. We're more likely to succeed than not. When we raise our children, we say, and let's say they're at school and they're not getting good grades. Now let's put aside uh, the possibility that there's a learning disability. Let's just put that aside. Let's assume there's no learning disability. There's really only two reasons why kids don't get good grades in school. Either they're not working hard enough or they don't understand the material. So one of the first things I will do when working with, with my clients is I'm like, all right, let's figure out which one it is. I'm also assuming there's a good product market fit. So assume product market fit. Are your salespeople, are they enabled? Do they understand what it is you have, what problems it solves, and how to deliver on it and how to sell it? Or do they understand all that? They're just not working hard enough. Which one is it? So oftentimes that's my first level of uh, engagement. I will say it's, it's usually not the latter. It's usually... Um, executive team hasn't slowed down enough to enable their sellers to be successful, which is sad to me. You recently celebrated your 18th birthday. Of course, not your 18th birthday, but the 18th birthday of your company. I bet you've seen quite a bit. What is one of your greatest success stories within that 18th year? I'm not going to, I'm going to change the names. Protect the innocent. Sure. Yeah. Um, A young seller and one of my clients Let's call him Bill. Bill was born with a uh, birth deformity on his hand. He's got a, I think it's called a cleft palate where, you know, his mouth and face isn't really developed well. Great speaker. Um, Ernest wanted to work hard, had no idea how to do sales. His company was growing and, and he said, you know, I'd like to try it. Said, okay. And um, very progressive uh, company and they're like, they don't have any preconceived notions of what a seller should be. An early SaaS company. Uh, in their industry. And they said, you know, most of these sales are going to be over the phone anyway. This is pre-Zoom. Let's give, let's give Bill a try. Bill had no idea what he was doing. I'm happy to say that now, probably 10 years later, Bill can walk into any technology company and make 250 to 450 right now. Wow. I mean, I'm confident he could do that. Uh, his, his growth personally and professionally, and I check in with him every now and then, has just been off the charts. This is someone who went from 
I want to do it. I don't know how to do it. I hope it's only on the phone to being confident to go to trade shows and talk to people he'd never met about their, his company's offerings. What are some things that he did to get from there to here? Well, interestingly, the, the biggest thing is he, he recognized that he needed to be coachable. So he was like, I want to do this. I don't know how to do this. So he took to coaching. Second, he's fearless. So he's like, yeah, in order for me to be successful like these other people that I know are successful in sales, I've got to be willing to put myself out there to call up strangers as a, I think at the time, 28-year-old, be able to talk to 45, 55-year-old executives, financial executives even. Um, So he's fearless. We had a great product market fit with this client of mine. So he was confident in the product's ability to, to deliver on the capabilities they had. So rejection wasn't a problem for him. So being able to take rejection. And deep down, he was smart enough to understand how to map capabilities to goals, objectives, challenges, and issues. Once he did that, he was like, I'm going to follow this process. And then it became the fearless part of asking the hard questions, not accepting vague answers, things like that just started becoming natural to him. But it took a lot of practice. So that leads to a question on a comment you made earlier. Are salespeople born or are they made? I wrote a blog post. It's in my, on my website under my lessons tab about can she sell? This is during a time, and actually, we might be there now, maybe more so, maybe six months ago, where you're trying to find salespeople. And it's like, all right, why should so-and-so successful salesperson leave their company to come work for me? Well, that's really hard to do. I've got someone here on my team who says they want to do sales. Can she sell? I'm going to go back to some of the themes I was just talking about a, a couple minutes ago. Are they fearless? Are they competitive? Do they have enough intelligence to be able to relate what it is you sell to the market and to individuals and how it can help them tailoring those conversations to what they have and are they coachable? So if you've got that within your company and they want to do sales, uh, I would say even if they want to do sales ahead of whether you believe them to be an extrovert or an introvert is most important. So that's what I'm looking for. So I do think they are made, but they got to, but the innate part has got to be the want to. You saw on my post about my 18th uh, anniversary being in business, one of those things is I know for salespeople to be successful, they have to be willing to ask those hard questions. So if you're a manager or an owner of a water treatment company like your audience, the person who wants to get in sales, are they willing to put themselves out there and ask hard questions knowing they might not get the answer they want? And if you can figure that out, um, that's a good, good first step in figuring out that, yeah, this person could be successful. So that's good for somebody who is, well, let's just talk about that. So somebody's thinking they want to get into sales. What is a reality check that they need to have? What are some qualities that they need to have in order to be successful in this industry? So give me an example in your life where something wasn't right. And instead of backing away, you asked the hard question, whatever it was, doesn't matter where you are, what role, what scenario. Just give me an example of that. You know, the other thing that um, I've been hitting on lately that we want to look for in these people is, are they able to pattern recognize? What I mean by that is, if they're internal at your company, are they constantly looking at problems within the customer base or at customers and realizing, hey, we, ha- we solved that for somebody else. We can do that here. Can they recognize the patterns of goals, challenges, issues, objectives that others have 
that map to what we've already been successful at. So the questions to ask are, you know, where are examples of where you've you've applied problem solving to situations based on your experience? Now, if somebody was looking to hire a salesperson, what should they be looking for and how do they know when they found it? Well, if it's someone who's never sold before and they're and they're applying for a job, uh, you want to understand are they uh, do they have that grit? Someone say that EQ, um, that grit of saying, I don't care if I get nine doors slammed on me, I'm still going to knock on the 10th. I want examples of hard work. Uh, I have another success story, by the way. I'm actually going to use his name. Um, Isaac. Isaac was 25, 26 years old. He was referred to me by a colleague and said, you know, this guy wants to get into technology sales. He's only been doing real estate, but I think he's smart and he's a hard worker. Would you talk to him? Sure, I'll talk to him. And I had a client actually that was looking to hire. And they had we had put together already our, our onboarding process for a new hire. So I wasn't worried about that. And the important thing about new hires, new to sales, is ask them about any of their jobs in the past. Can they describe clearly? Okay, so who is your market? Who's your ideal client profile? Can you, they describe their offering to them? What is it you would do for them? And then can they describe how they do it? What is that? What would that look like as far as you servicing them or serving them? And if they can clearly describe all those, all right, they're smart enough for their job. All right, can you give me an indication of hard work? And what that means is, what would it take to build your book of business if you're doing real estate sales, for example? Give me, give me, make me confident that if you get 50 leads, you'll be, you'll follow up on them. If you don't get 50 leads, you'll go out and work the market yourself. So let's let's figure that out. Do they have that grit to um, go after their business? And then once they get in front of people, will they have the confidence to be able to describe what they know already about their business? Adam, I want to talk about the salesperson-sales manager relationship. And so many times a sales manager is a previous salesperson. Is that always how that works? Is that should how that works? Ooh, that, that's a really good question. You're absolutely right. The usual career move is to go from excellent sales rep, take them out of the field, make them a sales manager. Is that the best move? No. It works sometimes. It also doesn't work a lot. By the way, one of my offerings is an advisory offering where, hey, I just made this guy into a manager. He's never managed before. Can you help him? I'm like, absolutely. Especially if now, if now this person, he or she, has a new team. So when we go about working with a new manager, I'm saying to her, all right, on your team, set aside your top performers. Anyone who has uneven performance or negative performance, is this a know-how issue or is it a effort issue, an effort issue? Let's figure that out first. Well, how do I do that? Especially nowadays where we're not in the same office together. We're all on these Zoom calls, right? I don't know if you've played a lot of sports in your life, Trace, but I always found that the coaches who started out strict and disciplined could then loosen up later. But the ones who started out loose never could tighten up later. It's all about discipline. You come into a new role as a sales manager and like, look, I got to know what's going on here. BCC me on every correspondence. Flood me with emails. It's amazing what you'll learn from that. 
some people will will send you like 10, 20, 30 emails a day that you're BCC'd on with their prospects. And you'll be able then to troubleshoot. Okay, here's what's going on in these emails. I can see you had a good call here, not good call here. You should have asked them this, that. We need to find out more information here. Others are like, hey, I'm getting like two or three emails a day or 10 a week. And I'm like, that's a problem. So we can judge whether it's a sales enablement issue or, or an effort issue. The second thing I want to teach a new manager or a new VP, especially if they've been a salesperson to begin with, is how do you debrief a call? So this happens a lot. Nowadays, it would be on Zoom, right? You get a, a note, hey, I just had a fantastic call with a new prospect. Inexperienced manager with no coaching will say, great, what's our next step? I'm going to get him a proposal. Fantastic. Proposal goes out, nothing happens. Instead, I'd like them to have a checklist. You had a great call. Fantastic. I'm very excited for you. I can see you're very excited. Let's see what happened on that call. And then that checklist would include things like, who's the prospect? What do they do? What are they trying to accomplish? How do they come to us? What capabilities do we position? What's the value of those capabilities to them? The second thing a sales manager, especially a new one, needs to master quickly is this scenario. Sales rep has a great call. Nowadays, it's probably through Zoom or through text. Hey, I had a great call. Okay, let's talk about it. Manager and, and sales rep get together. Normally, or I should say, usually I expect this is what happens. Had a great call. They love us. They think we're great. They've heard about us. They want a proposal. I'm going to send them a proposal. Great, send that proposal. Let me know what they say. And I'm like, no. Instead, what I'd like you to say is, fantastic. You're, I'm so excited. You're excited about this opportunity. Tell me about it. Who is this prospect? What do they do for a living? Where are they located? How did they find us? What capabilities did you position about ours that made them go, oh yeah, I like that? What's the value of these capabilities to them? And are they qualified to be able to pay us? Who do we want to involve on our end to make sure they understand what it is to be one of our clients? And who else from their team do we want to include in this buy-sell process? To make sure it happens. By the way, nowadays, nearly all sales that go on where there's a sales rep involved in a B2B world are what I would call complex sales, multiple decision makers who are involved in the sale, multiple conversations. So we know it's not going to be a one-call close. So who else on their end do we expect we need to talk to and, and, and are we getting conversations with them? That was the second thing. Uh, the third thing is, do your reps know your company's sales process to where when you talk about these opportunities, they can tell you, here's where I am in my, in our process. And here's what, and if they want to skip steps, why that's a good thing, why it's necessary or why it's appropriate. If they want to skip steps and as a sales manager, like this doesn't usually work when we do that. Are you sure we don't need this, that, or the other? Oftentimes that's a cost benefit analysis of business case, things like that or involving other people. So can a manager take the sales process, document a sales process, and then apply it to each, each individual opportunity? Yeah, it's interesting. Normally, people get rewarded because they do a particular job well. They can sell, but they've had absolutely no experience at all at managing. And I don't, I don't know what the success rate is. I imagine it's probably in the middle. What, what is it? It's, ter it's terrible. I think the last statistic I saw was something like new heads of sales, whether you call them a sales manager or a sales VP, only last 18 months. And usually it's because the executive team 
hasn't properly enabled them to succeed, whether it's through coaching or giving them a process or, or something like that. They just expect them to know how to do it. And that's just wrong. It, it's really sad, I think. What does sales coaching look like? Well, it's like any other coaching. I know, I know you provide a lot of coaching, but you've got to build your agenda first. Why are we here? What's the most important thing that's going on in your life right now professionally that we should talk about? And usually they say something and then it's like, well, that's not really it. <laughs> it's really this. Maybe you've had that experience. And then we get to the heart of the matter, what they're nervous about or what has to happen. For newer managers that get need coaching or, or advisory, you really want to put together that plan. And I think EOS even covers this on a 30, 60, 90 sort of thing. What do we need to accomplish in the next four weeks? What are we looking to get in place for 60 days? And then quarter over quarter, what are we looking to do? And notice I didn't say achieve. What do we need to do? So we can start building tasks that we can start knocking off and getting some success. And then the other part is, of course, like I mentioned before, building up their skill set to be able to debrief and coach their people on their own instead of just being the babysitter. So a lot of, a lot of reps resent the, the sales manager as babysitter. It was just says, okay, what are you working on? What's going to close? Great. Go get them. That didn't close. Why not? Okay. Let's get them to the next thing. It's just a useless conversation. Well, that's typically the conversation that's had Somebody that's listening, and maybe that's the type of sales manager they have, or maybe that's the type of sales manager they are, how do they move to being more proactive? Let's assume that you've got some sort of CRM system. Maybe it's even a shared spreadsheet uh, that lists out your reps' opportunities that are open, that are not yet closed. You want to start with that. The sales manager has to either be confident that the sales rep's doing all the right things or has to be able to keep all these in their head or understand what's going on with each of them. With then when you look at each individual opportunity within a sales rep's pipeline, are the next steps appropriate? So when they say, hey, I'll give an example. This, this happens a lot. Had a great conversation. We, we mentioned this earlier. Had a great conversation. They want a proposal. Well, are you really sure they're ready for a proposal? Or have you asked them, fantastic, I'm excited, you want a proposal. Is that the last step in your evaluation process? Well, what do you mean? No, we'll have to have this, that, or the other. Okay. So now a sales manager can say to a sales rep, they're asking for a proposal. Are you sure they're ready for it? Let's ask that hard question. So the sales rep, the sales manager, one-on-one, if you will, should be about what's going on in the pipeline. And then with each, each opportunity, if they know it, what's going well, what's not going well, what roadblocks can I clear out for you? So it has to be managed. The sales manager must see what activity is taking place. And it doesn't seem like you have to use a CRM. Obviously, that will automate some things. But if somebody's just using an Excel spreadsheet, what's the bare minimum that the sales manager needs to know? We're going to talk in business to business realm. Let's assume it's a, your opportunities are opportunities with, with private enterprise or government where there's not a defined RFP process. Okay, so let's assume that, that sort of scenario. Most sales processes are 70 or 80% exactly the same. There's a first initiation, there's a first meaningful interaction, then you have other meaningful interactions with other people involved in the decision at the prospect. Then there's some sort of evaluation process, which could include a demonstration, references, 
business case, implementation description, proposal, contract, things like that, verbal and close. So as a sales manager, you want to have everyone understanding that what I just described, if that's it, is our sales process. So if someone wants to jump from, I had one call and they want a proposal, whoa, how do we know there's not other people we need to meet within the account that have a perspective and an input on making this decision? And are you sure proposal and then signing are the only steps in their buying process that we need to understand and appreciate? If the sales rep hems and haws at all, they're going to go back and have that evaluation conversation. So at a minimum, like you said, with a spreadsheet, you could have just A, B, C, D across the top, inbound or outbound, meaningful interaction, key players, evaluation process, steps that we know they're going to take in that evaluation process could be the next two or three, proposal, verbal, closed. At a minimum, we should start with that at a basic level of sophistication. And if you're not doing that, how do you report to your executive team what's going to close and why you think it's going to close? If I'm on an executive team as a CEO, oftentimes it's a CFO, they'll say, well, I, I, I hear you got four or five deals in your pipeline. You think you're going to close this quarter. Why? Why do you think? And this, is, this happens every day in executive team meetings. Hey, sales VP, tell me why you think these are going to close because I've got a budget off this. And if they come back with, well, Jody said they really want a proposal and they're excited, eh, I'm not so sure. That's enough. So everyone on the executive team should know the sales process as well. Well, was there a joint work plan that, that shows their evaluation process? Uh, no, we skipped that step. Hmm. I'm not going to put a high percentage of that this is going to close this quarter. Yes. We work through the entire evaluation process. There at the end, we put together a joint work plan, and now we're at the stage where they're ready for a proposal with all the terms and conditions. We're going to get this closed. Now, more confidence going to close. I find a lot of departments don't have a common language, and here's my example of this: uh, somebody might think they have an eighty percent chance of closing, where somebody else might put that as a sixty percent. So how do we make sure that the numbers of prediction actually mean something? Let's assume we have a company where we have some success. We've been in business for 5, 10, 20 years, whatever it is. We have an intuitive understanding that when we get to a certain stage with a prospect, how likely it is to close. Now, a small, a, a new company, a startup, if you will, I don't even like to do that. I just want to close deals. Right, I want to under forecast and over deliver, but with existing companies who have built up some sort of experience, if you will, calluses around sales, they know when we give a proposal, it's rock solid. We're like seventy five percent sure that closes. Like one out of four doesn't close. Okay, fine, we'll we'll, we'll do that. Others will say, you know, it's clear that only like half there or thirty percent of their proposals close. I know that's then because they're proposing too early proposals should end up with a higher percentage. Um, so to, to answer your question, um, each company is different in that respect based on your experience. Going into a new market, you may want to ratchet down the KPIs, the key performance indicators, and let's just go start getting some success and some knowledge about what's going on within this new market. A company that I won't say over the air, but I know there's lots of companies that that do this, 
one of their metrics is, and they reward on this, is how they're converting from one part of the cycle to the next part of the cycle. So in listening to what you're saying now, we might be falsely promoting to the next side of the cycle. Uh, and, and they're congratulating on that, but we're just getting no sales at the end of that pipeline. So how should that be looked at? So we want people to advance through the cycle, but we want to make sure it's done effectively. How do we do that? Again, one of the things that I'm a stickler on, I insist on it with my clients, is if you're not documenting your sales calls in the form of an email back to your prospects, to where that's the start of your next conversation is what did you think of my email recap? You're doing it wrong. So every meaningful conversation deserves a recap of that conversation. And it's a way for a salesperson to take control of the sales cycle. Now, when I hear that we're doing well and moving things through the pipeline, stage to stage, stage one to stage two, stage three, but then we're not closing deals, there's a quality issue within those stages that we need to address. Where are they? Where where is it going wrong? You may have defined a process step, and you're just doing it, but it really doesn't deserve it. What's the exit criteria for one stage to get to the next? So, with most of my clients, I'll create uh, a slide, if you will, that shows the sales methodology. And there's what you're going to do in that process, the process step. What's the key areas of understanding, and what are the exit criteria? You don't let a sales rep move something from stage one to stage two, unless they've met that exit criteria. It's usually a, a, a one or two things. That's all it is. So we're not making it too difficult. Now, if they um, insist on it, they've got to justify it. Why are you skipping this career of understanding? Now, Trace, in, in the water treatment industry, are there times where there's a sales rep who then has to bring in an expert to explain things later in the sales cycle, but before it's closed? Absolutely. Yeah, I had a feeling. So the same thing with a lot of software sales, same thing with a lot of technology companies, even consulting companies will have that. You call it a solution engineer, a solution consultant, things like that. What I found is sometimes these two groups are loggerheads. So the sales rep is constantly bringing in the expert and the expert's like, what a waste of my time. It's way too early. They don't even know who we are or what we do. And I'm sitting here having to do the salesperson's job. And this is a problem. So I have some companies who have a, uh, basically a, an SLA, a service level agreement between sales and the experts that says, here's the criteria for you asking for this resource. And they match to moving through that sales process. And everyone loves it. It's like, now I have a clear understanding of when to bring in this expert. And the expert's like, I'm not going to have to do their job of explaining who we are. I can do the other stuff that I'm working on more appropriate and some higher, better use of my time. And that's just one example of how you have a key area of understanding that then feeds into an exit criteria to move people from left to right on your sales process, move opportunities left to right. That's brilliant. Could you do the same thing for proposal writing? Well, anytime a sales manager hears a rep say, I'm ready to write a proposal. Okay. Are all the key areas of understanding and all the exit criteria already filled out? A proposal should be defined within every company as the prospect will learn nothing new from it. It's just a culmination of all the conversations and process steps we've done before put into writing, including the terms and conditions so that we can get, get signature. 
if you define a proposal that way, the sales rep knows, yeah, it's too early for me to put together a proposal. Adam, I don't think I've ever heard that described so succinctly before. That is the gold from this interview. That was that, That's awesome. You need to have a t-shirt or something made up. It only took me about two hours. <laughs> so, well, that's fantastic. Uh, th- there's so much more we could talk about. Uh, I do want the Scaling Up Nation to be able to reach out to you if they have questions of their own. How can they do that? Well, there's a few, a few ways to do it. You can call or text me at 404-798-8397. You can drop me an email at adam at salesreformschool.com. You can hit that same uh, domain, salesreformschool.com, uh, and fill out a contact me thing. I'll offer all of you, all of your audience, a 30-minute chat. I do that. I regularly send out my calendar to strangers. I believe two years ago, I had one of your uh, fans from Saudi Arabia call me and we talked sales for a half hour. It was great. How about that? It was terrific. And, th- and there have been others from around the country from this H2O podcast that have uh, reached out to me. Call, text, find me on LinkedIn. I am not the CFO, Adam Shapiro. I'm the sales reform school, Adam Shapiro. So you can find me there on, on LinkedIn as well. Might be a totally different conversation with the CFO one. He's a good guy. I, I know him actually. <laughs> All right, Adam. Always enjoy having you on. Uh, And just a heads up, you will be on again because we've got so much more to talk about. But let's go ahead and transition to the lightning round questions. So are you ready for those? I'll let everybody know I had a preview of these, but these are hard. (laughs) Well, these are level two lightning round questions since you've already Uh answered the first one. So the, the point value is doubled. So they are a little harder. The first question is, what would you say your superpower is? Can I answer personally and professionally? Uh, sure, why not? Okay. I would say professionally, and I've been told this before, uh, I get right to the heart of the matter. So there's not a lot of BS with me. When we have an engagement, we have time scheduled to talk. We're going to get right to the heart, what objective we need to reach or what challenge we need to overcome. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll get to it. Personally, I am the leftover king. <laughs> By Thursday or Friday, we have a, a refrigerator full of leftovers. I will make a gourmet meal out of that. Impressive. Give us an example of that. Okay. We've got some veggies over here. We got some sort of protein over here. I know I have uh, stir fry spices and herbs and, and sauces. I can make it into a stir fry. We'll expect some recipes for, uh, for the show notes page. Well, if you go to my lessons tab on my website, salesreformschool.com, I usually have every lesson will end with food for thought and then extracurricular. Every now and then I'll put a recipe in there. There you go. There you go. Little hack for the website there. What would you say your biggest accomplishment is? This is a tough question because it makes you're you're making me brag. On purpose. It's okay. Trace, I have an incredible 31-year marriage, and I have three fantastic children, two of whom I'll say are fully fledged and out there in the real world. One is a third year at Georgia Tech. My family life is my greatest accomplishment. Great answer. So if you had a magic wand that can change anything in the world, what would you change? Am I right that you're a Trekkie? That, that might be correct, yes. Yeah, I am as well. And one of the themes, especially older, I'm a little older than you are. I don't know if my audience knows that, but they do now. Okay. I want to end racism and bigotry of all, of all kinds. Hmm. So you know, the reason I brought Star Trek is, is 
the that ideal is present in pretty much every one of their their shows and movies from the first William William Shatner all the way up to Discovery. Yeah, great answer. Last question: When Atlanta, right in the center of downtown, they erect your statue, what does your plaque say? Well, on the serious side, I think it would say um, he was a big believer in human potential. So as a coach at heart, I think everyone can be coached. Maybe I'll joke also that his wife said he was right once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, once, that's good. Well, Adam, it's always fun having you on the podcast. Uh, One last question. If you just want to make sure there is one underlying message, one final thought, one big thought that you get across to our audience today, what do you want that to be? Wow. Um, your audience. The, the first blog post I ever wrote is called What Your Dirty Doesn't. What I meant by that, first of all, the movie's incredible. That's what it refers to. Everyone who thinks they're in sales, where everyone who runs a company needs to know what are the dirty dozen 12 problems or challenges that your market has that you can help solve or take care of? Once you have those written down, everyone you know should know this. So eventually, Trace is talking to somebody and you know my dirty dozen or at least a few of them and you go, you know, you should call Adam. So that's, my, that's the one thing I wish everybody knew is get your list of your dirty dozen put together and then tell everybody so when they're out there in the, in the world, they think of you. It's great advice. Adam, thanks once again for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Anytime. It's always fun visiting with you. Scaling Up Nation, you hear me say all the time, how do you know what you don't know? Well, another way to look at that is how do you meet who you haven't met yet? Because who has information that you need and maybe you don't know that you need it? And one of the things that I've always tried to do, and I've tried to do it because somebody told me I needed to do it, I didn't know I needed to do it, is to put myself into an environment where I am learning. Another way of putting that, and you probably have heard, you never want to be the smartest person in the room. Well, that's not hard for me but I always want to make sure I'm in a room where people are speaking about things that I may not know that I didn't know. And that's where I met Adam. Adam and I were a member of a group called Vistage, and that's where I met my mentor, Tim Fulton. I believe I spoke about him last week. And Tim's been on this podcast a couple of times, and I alluded last week that Tim and I are working on a project together that I cannot wait to tell all of you about, but it's not quite ready yet, so you're going to have to wait. Adam and I met in a group called Vistage, and Vistage is a mastermind. It's where people get together And they discuss what's going on in their lives. And then we take a particular issue and we process that. And the cool thing that happens when we do that is we can learn from others' experiences. We can learn from others' failures without experiencing the failure ourselves. So if we put ourselves in a room that we are able to share what we're having problems with, we get all of this feedback from people 
And we can either do that advice or maybe we don't. But more often than not, before that conversation, we were starting on the very first step. After this conversation, we get so much advice, we might be starting on the second step or maybe the fifth step or maybe even the 10th step. And now we have all of this new vision that we didn't have before because people told us about similar issues that they were having and all of the different things that were going on in the periphery and maybe even some failures that we now don't need to experience because they've told us about them. They told us what not to do. Some people are going to tell us what to do. Some people are are going to tell us what not to do. Some people might actually introduce us to somebody new who might have some information that we don't have. Folks, the point is, if you do not have a room of people like this, I truly believe you're working too hard. Not that life will ever be easy with whatever you do, But if you seek out opportunities for people to help you, and the reason that you can get people to help you is because your number one goal is for you to help them, it changes everything. And that's why I've been part of a mastermind for well over a decade. And that's why I started the Rising Tide Mastermind. So if you're out there and you're thinking that this sounds like something that you want to explore, I would love for you to explore it. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. You can read about the Rising Tide Mastermind. And if it sounds like something you want to learn more about, I would love to talk to you one-on-one to see if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you. Now, there are a lot of people where the Rising Tide Mastermind is not right for them, but you're thinking about what group should I join, go find one that is. Life is way too complicated to do it alone. I truly believe if you're doing life alone, you're doing it incorrectly. There's so many references that I can make, but I think everybody gets it. So it's my hope that you do a little research and figure out how you can get in a group of people that their sole motivation is to help each other. Nation, I hope that this podcast has helped you. I will tell you that by you listening to this podcast, you have helped me. I am so happy to have this amazing job as your host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And the only way I can do that is for you to listen. So thank you for listening. And I can't wait to come at you next week with a brand new episode. Until then, have a great week, folks. Do you wish you had your own private tutor to help you study for the Certified Water Technologist examination? Well, now you do. So many of you have asked me to help you with the mock CWT examination, and I've done that very thing. If you go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep, again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep, you will see that I've created a course 
and I tell you everything I know about each one of those mock questions. It's my hope that that helps give you the confidence you need to sign up to get certified today.